People the world over associate Bethlehem with the birth of Christ, and they revive their childhood images of the little town of Carol fame in countless Christmas services each year, like here at Litchfield Cathedral in Staffordshire, where more than 40,000 people come to participate in a range of special events. There's even one service where all the locals come dressed as characters from the Nativity. Beautiful as our traditional carols may be, they do very little to make us think about the lives of those born in that little town in the West Bank 2,000 years after the Christ child. Today, Christians in Bethlehem make up around 35% of the 30,000 inhabitants. The rest are Muslims. Unemployment is high, and the town is surrounded by the Israeli security barrier on three sides. Waves of violence in the West Bank and Gaza have driven tourists and pilgrims away, Bethlehem's major source of income. Yet the Christians of Bethlehem are proud of their heritage and traditions, including the very special one of painting or writing icons. In front of me here in a workshop in the Cathedral Precinct in Litchfield are two such icons, one of the Angel Gabriel and one of the Virgin Mary. My name is Mark Dowd. In this Christmas edition of Things Unseen, I'll be meeting the icon painters from Bethlehem who wrote them, as it's called, for this English cathedral. I'll be hearing what learning this highly spiritual art has given them and what it means in this day and age to be born and to live in Bethlehem. My name is Noura Slebi. I'm 23 years old. I'm from Bethlehem. I recently graduated from Al-Quds University with a major of computer engineering. And uh, right now I'm uh, with the Bethlehem Icon School doing the professional training course. How old were you when you became interested in doing this? I used to draw when I was uh, younger. I like to draw faces and... Uh, I've always been interested in iconography, first of all, because it is from our Christian heritage. And uh, an icon, uh, it's like a book. You have to read it. Each part of it, each stroke of paint have a meaning and uh, relate to something in the Bible. I am Nicola from Bethlehem. I am 27 years old. I am a lawyer. I work in Bethlehem too. I started when I was a trainee lawyer. I was practicing art also in my free time, and now I can't stop it. I, <laughs> I am continuing in iconography, and it's the fifth year for me. So on the wall in front of us, we've got the original sketches of the Archangel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary that were done in Bethlehem. But lying at the foot of them, we've got this large table with a lot of materials, including a box of half a dozen eggs almost. I mean, what's going on here, uh, Nicola? Can you talk us through what we're seeing here? We have here the tempera colours, which comes from nature, from rocks. We have the eggs and the vodka. We mix the egg and vodka and water with the tempera colour. The vodka protects the colour when we put the yellow part of the egg from the insects and the flies. I wonder how many bottles of vodka have been used in making these two huge icons. Do you see this one? Small bottle of vodka and still we have 
You have a little a quarter, bit, a quarter of it. This is all we used in these two. If you stay in a little English bed and breakfast hotel, sometimes for breakfast you see little pots of marmalade and jam. And I think the listener will know exactly what I mean because at the back of the table there's about 20 little pots. And I presume, are these all your paints in there? Yeah, we found the little English pots very useful for us. <laughs> we collected them and we filled them with paints because they are small, you can carry them and you can close them safely because some of the tempera are uh, not safe to deal with. We've got uh, vermilion, for example, which is highly toxic. So you have to be careful with these things. You really are touching the toxicity of things as well as their beauty. Ian Knowles is an English iconographer and founder of the Icon School in Bethlehem. He's been here in Litchfield with the students to guide them in their work. Writing icons, he tells us, involves careful handling of the pigments given by the earth. By interacting with them, you begin to make these hymns in paint. That's the lovely way I like to put it. You're making these hymns in paint. You make things sing. So if you looked at the colours, for example, which are all ground rock, and it's mud, that's literally what we're painting with. But when you look at the final result and you see how the blues and the reds interact, the orange in the, the, for example, the back of the throne reflecting off that deep azurite colour in Our Lady's undergarment, the rich vibrancy of the cushion that she sat on. This is alive. This is really setting things off and singing, just like the choir will do in the cathedral, you know, wrapping itself in these wonderful tones and tunes and melodies, creating beauty and sound. This is doing it with colour. And you just get lost in it. It's just wonderful. Hands in mud, making something really sing and be beautiful. Each of the two finished icons is about nine or ten feet tall and painted in luminous tones of red, gold and blue. At first sight, they seem to follow what you might call the traditional language of the spiritual art, the stylized faces and formalized postures. But it's only when you look more carefully that you discover that they're both uniquely Palestinian and uniquely English. Let's step a bit closer to the Virgin Mary because she has these very striking red, they're not shoes, they're almost like slippers with cloth, but below them there's something very special, Nora, which I know that you have a particular interest in. What are we seeing here? There is a rug under her feet, uh, a Palestinian rug, because uh, the Annunciation took place in Nazareth, in Palestine, and uh, we come from Palestine too. So we thought that we will bring something from our country to Litchfield Cathedral and to this icon. So we painted a rug, which is uh, embroidery, cross-stitch. And it has patterns from our Palestinian heritage. And the clothes that she's wearing, she has this maroon top with a kind of white headscarf which covers her head, and then lower down there's like a dark blue. In fact, there are lots of different colours. There's almost like a pink colour right above her feet. Would these have been traditional clothes of the time, or would you still see in Palestine today women dressed in these kinds of clothes? She's dressed like an Anglo-Saxon queen. The inspiration of the Annunciation icon started from uh, the angel. In Litchfield Cathedral, they found an angel carved in stones buried in the floor of the cathedral many years ago. So the inspiration for the angel is taken from Litchfield Angel, 
and because it is an Anglo-Saxon, we wanted the Virgin Mary to relate to the same period. So she is dressed as an Anglo-Saxon queen. I think what we've managed to do is to create an English style of iconography, which is ironic given that it's coming from Bethlehem. But if you go to, say, Westminster Abbey, where there are icons, they're very much a Russian or a Greek icon that's been sort of painted and put into the cathedral. But these pieces are deliberately part of the long, ancient, developing tradition of, of artistic treasure, artistic spiritual treasure, of the cathedral in Litchfield. So there's a real sense that we're just contributing to that treasure trove. And so this will be here maybe in 500 years' time. So in fact, the image is like a blend between elements of Palestine, but actually in a British Litchfield setting. It's like a, a mixture of the two. Yeah, like uh, we put our touch from Palestine, which is in the rug, but uh, everything else relates to England, to the Anglo-Saxon period, to Litchfield Cathedral. And also the flowers. The flowers, as you see, they are English flowers. So it's in England, it's English, it's Litchfield Annunciation. Looking at the serenity of these two icons, telling the story of Mary hearing and accepting the news that she will bear the Christ child, it's easy to forget the daily hardships that people like Noura and Nicola face back home in Bethlehem. We imagine Bethlehem to be this romantic, cute little place where Jesus was born, but the reality is very different. Is it a, a tough and difficult place to live? I don't like to start with a tough word and difficult because as a Christian from Bethlehem, I always have hope. My hope first is in the Christ. But yes, if you go to Bethlehem, the first thing you see the walls surrounded Bethlehem, which makes Bethlehem as a prison, a big prison. This really affects the town. It affects the freedom of movement. It affects the view of Bethlehem. The peaceful place where Jesus was born, it looks like a prison. For me, I don't remember a lot before the wall was built, but my sisters and older brothers keep telling me how they used to go wherever they want in Palestine to the beach and there will be no wall surrounding them. So I wish that I can go like freely and visit the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem or go to the beach and lie in the sun in front of the sea. You say that it's hard for you to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's only seven miles away, but is that a really difficult trip for you to make? Yes, because between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there is the separation wall. And in order to cross that wall, we have to pass the checkpoint. And to pass this checkpoint, you need a special permit that you apply for. And in the permit, you have to write the purpose of your visit and when you are going. And then they will decide if they want to give it to you or not. So this whole process may take about a month. And you will never know what you will face in the checkpoint. Sometimes it is easy and sometimes it's difficult. And Bethlehem depends on tourism. 
sadly now the tourists they go to the holy places especially the nativity church in hurry so they don't meet the people they don't go to buy from the souvenir shop around the nativity church to support the christians palestinians so they go back to israel in hurry because in their mind it's not safe a place Everybody who's been as a Christian to see the suffering of the people of Bethlehem cannot fail to be moved by their plight. Adrian Dorber is the Dean of Litchfield, the man who's responsible for running the cathedral. His own experience of visiting Bethlehem has left him with a profound sense of solidarity with Palestinian Christians who are facing daily struggles there. Electricity gets cut off at whim, water supplies are contested. And for most people, life is very, very difficult. And it's been supremely difficult for the Christian community. And there have been great forces on them to emigrate. And so from what was a fairly buoyant population 70 years ago, it's now a very, very tiny fragment of Israeli-Palestinian society. So being able to support them, to support our fellow Christians, our fellow followers of the faith, is very, very crucial. I set up the Icon School four years ago, and the idea is to provide a, a means whereby local Christians can support families. Ian Knowles had a very practical purpose in mind when he founded his school. But how does an Englishman come to acquire such skill and passion for what's essentially an Eastern Christian art form? When I was 18, I went to Greece to visit a friend, and she took me into this tiny ancient Byzantine church full of incense and candles and darkness and shafts of light and there were these icons and they were covered in soot so you couldn't really see them very clearly but you could feel the numinous presence of God and at that point I was in love with them and gradually learned how to to paint icons and to eventually make it my life. I ended up by accident in Bethlehem through chatting to somebody online who was orthodox and needed their church restoring, and I sort of volunteered. That was in 2008. And then you're in the place, and God does what God does. And meeting the students, seeing the need that was there, feeling that God was really calling me to respond, you just do it. And then you begin to reflect on what you're doing and where you're doing it, and you understand there is a higher purpose and a deeper meaning. And there's been many times since when it seemed impossible to continue and I've just said to the Lord, well, you'll have to deal with this, otherwise I'm going home. And blow me, it gets sorted out every time, so then you're back on track. And, yeah, I think it is something that God really wants. And I think seeing this time with the students and how much they've got from this experience, and more importantly, what they've been able to give and leave behind and contribute to the wider Christian world, so their, their dignity is restored. They're not receiving aid or, you know, people's sympathy. They're actually shining lights and taking their patrimony and letting it really live. That's very humbling. And you really feel, yes, we're doing something which the Lord thinks is good. Talking to Ian, Nora and Nicola, I can't help being struck by the enormous dedication that's gone into this work. 
they've given no less than six weeks of their time to complete the two icons. So deep down, what does this work really mean to them? For me, when I do an icon, I am dedicated to it. Like before doing it, I read about it, get really connected with the icon that I will do. When I get that close from it, I benefit myself because I learn patience. I learn more about my religion. I grow in faith. So it helps me to be a better person. I can do it as business and do it faster and I will sell more and I will have more icons that I did. But I think that the spiritual experience that I get from each icon when I paint it and put all my soul in it is much better and it helps you a lot. Do you actually find yourself praying when you're working? When you look into the faces of of Mary and the Archangel Gabriel, does it take you into a spiritual space sometimes when you, you find yourself being taken into a different plane of existence? Praying is the main thing in our work. So we start our day with praying. Then our work is a praying itself. Sometimes when somebody talks to me, I don't reply or answer because I am focusing on this. Like it's a prayer. When you pray, you don't like somebody to interrupt you. And you're dealing with a holy icon, with the holy face of Mary, with the holy face of Angel Gabriel. So, yes, it's praying, not only painting here. It says in Paul's letter to the Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And therefore he is an icon in that sense of bearing the truth of God to our human senses. Do you think there's a connection between that and what you are doing here? Do you think you're part of a a divine inspiration trying to bring to our understanding something that's inspired by God in terms of creation? Absolutely. And this ties into why the school has to be in Bethlehem. What happened in in Bethlehem is for the first time in human history, God had a human face, had an image that could be looked at. And when Mary looked into the eyes of that infant baby, for the first time, God could look with human eyes with love. It wasn't a word in a book or a feeling in your heart. It was something you experienced in your body, just like, like you would do with your husband, your wife, your own child. It was a complete experience of love in our humanity. So when we make icons, and the word icon is just the Greek word for image. So when St. Paul talks about image, he's talking about icons. And remember when Jesus said to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, he is the icon that you use your eyes to experience the father this is what happens at christmas god looks at us through human eyes and touches us and embraces us in our completeness and that's the message really i think of christmas and it's the message of our icon school and it's the message of what our students have done here in litchfield
We work in silence when we write icons, otherwise we can't do good work. And we have music on when we are working, liturgical music. So this helps a lot to pray more when you are doing the work. Thomas Tallis, one of the most famous English choral composers from the 16th century. It's extraordinary to think of two Palestinian students working to the sound of Thomas Tallis. You can't think of anything more English. <laughs> Tallis is a bit like a musical Shakespeare. Yet with all this fusion of Christian traditions from England and Bethlehem, the fact remains that venerating icons is not a natural part of English Christian practice. As the Dean, Adrian Dorber, readily admits, commissioning these two images for the cathedral was something of a bold move. I think there's a, a sense of, oh, this is a bit of a walk on the wild side, but one of the things that we need to cherish in an increasingly ecumenical age is we, we learn a huge amount from each other's traditions. And icons belong to the undivided part of the church. I mean, they predate the split between West and East. They predate the Reformation. And in the early church, there was already a great row about whether these things are idolatrous or not. And it was decided pretty much in the 8th century that these icons were not. They were showing forth of Christ and his saints. And they were like visible words. They were outward and visible signs of an interior grace and therefore were to be seen as holy and good and worthy of our prayer. Because you don't pray to them, you pray with them. They draw your prayer to God, they draw you to God. And so it's not as if you're bowing down in front of something which is of entirely human manufacture. You're absolutely reverencing what that icon represents. The icon is the image of the invisible God. As I take you west from the choir, we're going under the crossing, coming into the edge of the nave, the pulpit's on my right, but here we're at the nave sanctuary now. This is a, the platform under which the Litchfield Angel was discovered, our wonderful Saxon statuette. And as we move slightly forward from this sanctuary, we go two piers down, and I'll show you exactly where the icons are. And they speak to each other across the nave. If we turn around and face east, on the north side is Gabriel, and on the south side, Mary. I think you get in the region of about 40,000 people coming here during Advent and, and Christmas. And of course, what will be different for this Christmas period is that you have the icons. Yeah. Will they play a particular part or present a particular focus at any point during the, the Christmas celebrations? Yes. One of the key Gospels we have to listen to is the story of the angel Gabriel visiting the Blessed Virgin Mary. And actually having that story in icon form here will give us all sorts of interesting opportunities for people to come and engage with that, light their candles in front of the, the icons. They will be decorated probably with lovely flowers. And I hope people will feel this is a special place in the cathedral where they can come and pray and bring their Christmas intercessions.
what we found is people have been bowled over. We've had a stream of visitors coming and visiting us as we've been working on it. And we've had people in tears, we've had people just dumbstruck and going away saying, I've just been so touched by this. This art, because it's designed as a prayerful meeting point between heaven and earth, just does its thing. So it's sowing seeds, it's touching people in a very basic, natural, human way and touching into the soul. So in a way, we don't have to worry about how it does it. We just have to give it the space to just breathe and touch people. And I think especially when you think of it in the cathedral, this sort of great cavern of stone and stained glass, these will be two gems that will shine out in this gloom, and especially at Christmas, the candle-lit carol service, the flickering candles, the gold speaking of the presence of God. You can see how people are going to be touched. I feel happy because this icon will help people to pray and it may change their lives and it may have its own effect on them. So my work doesn't end. The light of this icon will shine on everybody who sees it and pray with it. We say in Arabic, there is a peace from my heart in it. We really put all our love and passion while painting them. So we're leaving something here from us. It's a special thing from our spirit, from our heart, from Bethlehem. At Christmas time, Bethlehem normally attracts Western pilgrims eager to get a glimpse of the place where Jesus was born. But in the reversal of roles, this Christmas, Bethlehem has sent young Palestinian icon writers to give two inspirational images of the Archangel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, which now take pride of place here in Litchfield Cathedral. My name's Mark Dowd, and you've been listening to a special Christmas edition of Things Unseen, brought to you by CTVC. From all the team here, have a very happy and holy Christmas. Christmas.